You're listening to Heart of the Hunter. Heart of the Hunter is a serialized swords and sorcery tale brought to you as part of the Coronai Chronicles series on the Bears Grove Bardic Circle podcast. Heart of the Hunter is written, performed, and produced by Sam Chupp. Sam Chupp is a storyteller, game designer, podcaster, and author living in Atlanta, Georgia. For more information about Heart of the Hunter, check out bardcircle.bearsgrove.com. Now, please enjoy Heart of the Hunter. The bell on the door of Sneeve's fine smoking herbals rang as it opened. The time was far too late in the evening to truly be decent custom. Sneeve cursed that Leonard had somehow forgotten to lock the door when he left, and emerged quickly from the rear of the shop, his dracon pistol loose in its holster under his armpit. Who's there? Sneeve spat, looking around. Greetings, Master Sneeve. I am Tichan. I believe we have friends in the same business. He took a look at the man who stood before him, slight with Chengian features and a cat-like grace. The man was clearly some kind of underworld fellow. He had a particular but unmistakable air of smugness that only a made man could produce. What friends are these you speak of? Sneeve asked. I don't have many. I respect your time, master, so I will be brief. In short, I am aware that you sometimes, shall we say, rent out your bodyguard and companion named Leonard. I have need for him to hunt prey to the north of the city. Sneeve grinned. Hmm, I have an idea. Uh, go screw yourself. Mr. Sneeve, surely you must reconsider. Be mindful of simple courtesy. All right, then. Hmm. Please go screw yourself. Really, Tichan, do you think the masters would really be welcoming to this little tete-a-tete we're having? I'm sure the Jade Fathers of House Jasmine would not at all be pleased to learn you were here. And that, Ratman, is where you were wrong. But you've had your say and your insults. These will not go unnoticed, the man said, and quickly left the shop. Sneeve closed the door behind him, locked both latches, and swore to himself. Now he'd have to send a note to the boss. Somebody from the Quadong was looking to break into the North Territory. The boss wasn't going to be happy at all. Master Chief, Hornboot, and two well-dressed Arandani men stood on the riverside where the brush along the swollen Halas River had been cut back enough to form a crude landing. 
A small squad of other Hoskins irregulars waited with them to replace the squad leaving the Duchess. They helped the muleteer and the boatmen beach the Galen Duchess enough so that the forward loading ramp could be deployed. The gathered multitudes on the deck of the ship, each of them either travelers headed south or boatmen, watched as two caravan wagons were hitched to a tow team of horses. The wagons were pulled off the barge, up the muddy riverbank, and out of sight in the overgrowth. Raven, Peter, Alabar, and Aran followed behind and found the two men waiting for them. Peter saluted the Master Chief. Good day, sir. Pleased to see you here. Will you be coming with us today? Hornboot grinned. With you? Why? Why in the name of Avasur would I do such a thing? No, Sergeant, I'm here with the representative from the client, Mr... What was it? Ironclaw? Ironpurse. Nolan Ironpurse, at your service. I am the master factor for the Prester concern. This fellow is my nephew, Jurgen Colesblood. He will be your liaison for this journey. Peter looked uncomprehendingly at Hornboot. So this one's the... The go-between, boy. The factor's friend, if you take my meaning. Exactly. Jurgen's job will be to make sure that this venture is done with dispatch. His role is to watch the concern's money in all things, and this includes such things as mission parameters and final destination. Peter nodded and turned to Hornboot. Master Chief, may I speak to you for a moment? Leaving them all standing in the clearing near the river, the two men stood far off to the side and spoke as low as they could between themselves. Master Chief, with all due respect, Peter said, Sergeant, you know how these things are. This isn't any different from, say, the Mishkin run. They've got factors on them, too. You know what is said and what is done are two different things, Hornboot said. I ain't taking kindly to the idea of following that little wicknipper's orders, Master Chief. And I don't let people second-guess who's in command. It's got to be clear. We're going to be all alone in the middle of nowhere, and whether or not someone obeys... I get you. I get you, Sarge. Look, it's like this. The company doesn't care at all what happens when you're out in the bush. We'll back you up. When push comes to shove, it's your butt on the line, and we all respect that. The old man knows what a pain the Arandani can be. He is one, after all. But on the other hand, these gentlemen have spent a lot of coin on this enterprise. Peter considered... You couldn't know it by me. Look at what we have. Three soldiers, a healer. That's it. If you're really putting money into this, you've got to do it right. Hornboot raised a hand. I hear you. But you have to realize something. This is the best money can buy. Do you know how many Merc companies turned them down before they came to us? And they came to us. Also, because we know how to attract the offbeat types, the freebooters, the adventurers, folks who wouldn't run off at the first sign of real trouble, folks who have some stones. Not some half-hearted, half-wit soldier, or, God forbid, some stuck-up, self-serving knight. Peter startled at that, but just looked down at him with a level gaze. Right. Hornblood nodded. Now... Your Sidalian teamsters there. They're armed with Dracon pistols. They're good people. Dav and Gar. 
their family. Not much for talking, but they're pretty good at driving, even in rough terrain. And I've included a few interesting surprises in the weapons locker for you as well. You're more than welcome to keep Junior Factor there inside a wagon and not let him out until day's end each day. As far as I'm concerned, after all, you've got to protect the concern's assets, right? The concern's ass more like, Peter said under his breath, looking back at the party waiting on them both. Yeah, that too. Look, Sarge, if you can't do the job... Peter answered quickly. I didn't say that. I just wanted to be sure where the company stands on this. I won't have men killed because of some bean counter. Mark me. I would rather die myself. Aye, and the old man backs you up a hundred percent. Graham reached up and clapped the much taller Peter on the shoulder. Just use your best judgment, okay? Peter grinned and nodded. Loud and clear, Master Chief. That's all I wanted. Good to go. The two men made it back to the waiting party. They were all introduced to Dav and Gar Hornboot, the Sidalian teamsters, who were professional but somewhat quiet. Jurgen was shown to the carriage cabin inside the second wagon. It was small, cramped, and dimly lit, but safe enough for the outside world. He settled in as if he had expected this, and was soon scribing merrily on a lap desk. Not long after, the caravan was mounted, rigged, and headed up the river road. Alabar, who was riding on the drover's board with Dav on the second wagon, waved farewell to the Duchess as it slid off the river bank and started its lazy drift southward. It's going to be a long trip, Peter muttered to himself atop his horse, and turned to trot after the caravan. So, who found her, Warder? The short, red-haired Sidelian woman said, her voice smooth and quiet. Abigail Darwin was the best thief-catcher in Blackpool, but she always wanted to be called as soon as possible after her body was found, to better see the scene of the crime. The Council of Starmoon had her on retainer more as a preventative measure than anything, but they did thoroughly investigate crimes involving murder of their constituency. Delivery boy from Sandridge Alchemical, Miss Darvin, the Star Moon Warder said, while the woman made some notes using a coal stick in a parchment diary. The warder was dressed in a sky blue tunic with silver embroidery trim, the standard uniform the council had given him. Any idea who did it so far? Abigail asked, pausing to look around some more. She pushed a wisp of stray red hair behind her ear, chewing on her lip as she surveyed the room. The murder weapon was removed from the scene, as far as we can tell, but our scrying people have been working on finding out who did it. One thing's for sure, this whole thing is curf-related. We found a thousand mayorals worth of the stuff in the woman's tea cabinet, there. Abigail paused, thinking, but she turned back to the warder. Mother Razia was perhaps not the most ethical of seers, warder, but I might remind you that she deserves the benefit of the doubt, as she was a loyal, dues-paying resident of Starmoon, 
Has anyone had any luck locating the daughter? That's just it, miss. Our contacts with the guild placed Melangel, her daughter, at the guild hall yesterday. It wasn't easy to find someone who'd seen her, but her name was found on an employment card in the main box for the day. It said she shipped out with a mercenary company this very morning. Goes by the name of Raven. Which mercenary company, then? Abigail asked. She inspected under a fancy Amishkin table covering, ignoring the foot pedals underneath which could lift the table and make it rattle on command. Um, Hoskins Irregulars, the warder said, after briefly consulting one of his associates mentally through his discretion ring. Abigail nodded. I see. Fascinating. Seems strange for Melangel to be leaving, considering, well, considering the company she keeps. It was an open secret, she ran with Ginza's brood. Aye, Miss Darwin, it does, and yet, if she and her mother had a fight... The warder let the thought trail off. Abigail nodded again. There is that. Well, I will send Major Hoskins a note and see if I can't get on his social calendar. He may be able to help us sort this out rather quickly. Yes, Miss Darvin. Anything else? The warder was eager to let the more candlers come in to pick up the body. Abigail cast her gaze about the small third-floor flat. I was wondering, did you notice a safe or ward box somewhere? Ma'am? Petty witches like Mother Razia know themselves to be quite vulnerable. And I happen to know Razia was a freebooter once upon a time. She might have treasures from the road. At any rate, there's got to be some kind of secure storage here, warder. Do you mind if I stay a moment and attempt to locate it? Abigail asked, noticing the warder's discomfort. He bowed. Not at all, Miss Darvin. Take your time. Thank you. She favored him with one of her best smiles before turning away. Abigail futzed a pair of golden spectacles in her hands and put them on. The enchantment on them was such that it let her trace magical auras. Normally unseen magical flows would become visible to her eyes. Of course, they were also used by sneak thieves and mage robbers, but this was one of the cases of a tool serving both sides. Here, Warder, I see. This square of blocks in the wall is a false front. I might need your help in opening it. Here, Abigail began, but stopped. The false door opened easily. Ah, note the lockbreaker's oil and the hinges, Warder. Someone was here before us. Yes, miss. What do you think happened? Well, clearly Mother Razia had a ward box of some kind. Emphasis on the had. Now the real question is, where is it? And is it the reason she was killed by House Jasmine? What makes you think it was House Jasmine? Ah, because of this. Abigail said, turning to face the warder, in her hand was a black jasmine blossom, the sign of the Quadong themselves, taken from within the safe. I think this is larger than we expected, warder. We'd best notify the council. Yes, lady, I think we should, right away.
How is it possible that the road could have become so overgrown in just one year? Peter wondered aloud as he hacked. They had been forced to stop along the road to hack at a curtain of tough swamp vine which had crept across the river road. The horses that pulled the teams wickered and cropped fresh wet grass nearby. The factor had made some kind of excuse about allergies and needing to get paperwork filled out and waited in his caravan wagon. Peter had handed out vine choppers from the tool chest and soon they were all hacking at the tough vines and growth. As they chopped into the vines, they started to realize that the curtain of vines was more like a wall. It was as if the forest had been trying to grow a barrier across the road. Aaron kept chopping, trying to make some kind of headway. There's a fair easy answer to that one, Sergeant. It is just the nature of things to grow where they are not wanted. Look at how people have spread out into areas in which they are no longer welcome. But so quickly? Surely we'd have a few winters to go before the vines got crazy. Peter sighed as he resumed chopping. Alibar muttered something under his breath as he worked. What was that, brother? What? Oh, um, it's just that uh, these particular vines were mentioned in an herborium text I was reading last year. And? Go on, Peter said. Supposedly, if one finds the taproot and severs it, it should be fairly easy to pull the stringers out. But you're right. If this road was clear last year, there's no reasonable way these vines should have grown up over it. Someone must have encouraged them. Encouraged them? How, brother? Peter asked, pausing in his chopping to drink from his water skin. I know. Told them tales of other vines that succeeded against all odds, Raven said, grinning, her eyes watchful to the rear of the group, always drifting towards the city. Aaron, seeing that everyone else but the Sidalian teamsters had ceased working, took a break himself, reaching into his rucksack and pulling out a still-cool skin of Sidalian daywine he'd purchased the night before. Stories tell of nail-tongued shamans having the power to cause vines to grow. Indeed, the Wunjo is right. It is very... Half a moment, brother. What did you call me? Wunjo. Of the Velisti Verana. Uh, how do you say it in trade? Uh... Alabar paused, embarrassed. Gypsies, Raven said, turning a new eye on Arryn. Arryn rounded on the shepherd, his eyes narrow and sharp. And what makes you think that, brother? Alabar took a step back, his hands out in front of him instinctively. Uh, it's, uh, if I gave offense, I'm sorry. Arryn paused and visibly relaxed, throwing his head back in laughter. No, no offense, brother. But your eyes are sharp for a gahe. Indeed, I am Wunjo, of the Black Bear tribe, to be true. Great, a frickin' gypsy in the squad. Everybody watch your valuables, Raven began. You can scarcely be trusted more, one of Genza's kids. Surprise you haven't held us at Dracon Point and robbed us all, Aaron said, his hand going to his own pistol. That's quite enough, soldiers. We're all bound by the oath of the road here, is the way I see it. So we all back each other and watch each other's back. Until the journey's done. And that means no thieving, one from another. What we get from the road, we all share. That's the way it's done in my troop, understood? Peter said, interrupting them both. Agreed, Alibar said, looking at the other two. Alidar, agreed, Arryn said, looking at Raven. Yeah, whatever, Raven said. Good, let's get back to work. This vine ain't gonna cut itself, Peter said, 
and hefted his vine chopper to the work at hand. Alibar grinned. To be true, it's possible it just might. And walked around the base of the huge tree next to the road. It's what are you about, brother? The vines are over here. Peter yelled after him. They saw him chopping hard at something in the deep brush on the other side of the tree, and then he said, Pull! Pull the stringers for all your might! With strong tugs on them, the vines struggled their last, and the whole wall of vegetation came down at once. Well done, brother! We just might reach our first waypoint this day, Peter said. I thought you're supposed to be the one who is one with the forest, Wunjo, Raven teased Arin. Humph! Book learning is no substitute for experience, Arn said, but then added, Good show, brother. Proves you're worth more than just your healing. It was just the taproot needed to be cut. But, uh, thank you, Alabar said, bowing. Mount him up, Peter called, and Dob and Gar bustled into action, grateful to not have to chop at the vines any further. Daylight's wasting. Let's be off. nature of the river road state came to them when they arrived at the busy bee inn the inn was abandoned the sign of the bee hung half off its sign pole and vines grew up the pole unimpeded the whole thing in fact was covered in some kind of green mold the courtyard was overgrown with wild sticker bushes and thorn runners it was Dav and Gar who were most visibly shaken by the sight. It just ain't right. I remember when the bee was the fanciest place near Blackpool, Dav said in astonishment. You could get the best sidle rolls here. Now look at it. It's uncanny, I tell you. Gar just nodded, a tear in his eye. Peter coughed. Well, we were supposed to stay the night here. I wonder where the proprietors went off to. I'm not surprised, though. It's found them, Raven said, prodding at a pair of corpses with the toe of her boot. You've been listening to Heart of the Hunter, a Coronai Chronicles story on the Bears Grove Bardic Circle podcast. The Bears Grove Bardic Circle is brought to you by the Fireheart Foundry family of podcasts. Fireheart Foundry also produces The Bears Grove, Dragon Ken, the podcast for kids and gaming, The Square One Podcast, and Vibrant Living. Find out more about Fireheart Foundry at fireheartfoundry.com. This podcast is brought to you under a Creative Commons attribution, no derivatives, no commercial use. License 2.5. Music today was provided by the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. The songs were Dignity by Green Druid, Crossroads by Lindner, and Mind Mixing by Lindner. Links to these songs and their creators will be provided in the show notes. 
Thank you for listening to the Bears Grove Party Circle, and hope you come back to our fire very soon.